stay in a place long enough and you get to see God at work in families and, and things of that nature. Ten years ago, yesterday, I was able to uh, officiate the wedding ceremony for Justin and Christine Sokol. So that's the kind of a cool, cool thing, ten years of marriage for them. And then yesterday I got to officiate another wedding for another couple, uh, Hannah Martin and John Mark Dundas. So really a cool thing. So they're starting out their life as a married couple, and boy are they in for a surprise. Because life does not always work out how you thought it was going to work out, does it? Sometimes we get thrown a curveball here and there. Um, sometimes things are for better, sometimes they're for worse. That's why we make those vows, isn't that right? Sometimes major things happen where maybe you feel like you get sidelined or your life trajectory is taken a different way. Whether it's an illness, whether it's financial loss, whether it's your company taking you to a new place, whether it's stuff going on in your personal life, your family, maybe it's legal trouble, what have you. And sometimes we can get discouraged, can't we? We can feel like we're losing hope, and maybe we feel like we're losing our joy. And I don't know if you were listening to the songs here today, but that theme of joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength is something we're going to be talking about today. We started our series through the letter of Paul to the Philippians. It's a letter through which joy rings over and over and over again through all four chapters. But the interesting thing is we find that the author, Paul, is not necessarily writing out of joyous circumstances. He's in prison. And his recipients, the Philippian church, they're not necessarily in joyous circumstances. They're experiencing a little bit of persecution by their fellow citizens in this town of Philippi. But we see that clearly experiencing joy is not contingent upon our circumstances, but rather in our relationship with the living Christ. God, the Father, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us, to make us His own, and to also understand and trust that His hand faithfully guides us and gets us to where we need to be, even if our circumstances don't seem to be, quote, joyous, if you will. And that's what we're going to see today in Paul's letter. So if you'll let me pray for us, we will uh, ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts, and then we will dive into His Word. So Lord Jesus, I thank You that we can have joy in You, even though life might be hard around us. And uh, we pray that you will help us be anchored in you. Because life does change. There are moments where things are wonderful and we can taste and see that that life is good. But there are other times where we see things decay, we see things go south, and we understand that this world is not our home. You have something so much better that you're bringing to us. So open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see what you have for us. And cause us to be men and women who walk in the joy of the Lord. So Lord Jesus, in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to chapter 1 of Philippians. And last week we got through the first six verses. Today we're picking it up at verse 7. Paul has a great affection 
for the church at Philippi. And so he says this, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Last week, one of the things we were looking at is joy that is found in the fellowship, participation in the gospel. Now, the verses that we just read certainly continue along these lines. Again, as I said, Paul is in prison, and his incarceration is hardly a just one. You can read about it in Acts 21 through 28, what happened to him when he came to Jerusalem. In essence, he just showed up at the temple and he ticked off the wrong people. And a riot ensued, and after he was arrested, the Roman governors didn't have the backbone to make an unpopular ruling in Paul's favor. They wanted to go with the will of the leadership. So Paul has to make an appeal to Caesar who happens to be Nero at this point. And he awaits his hearing, not knowing what his future holds. He's in chains for the gospel. He knows that. His his followers, his friends in the uh, Philippian church know that. And he doesn't know whether he's going to be freed or he's going to be condemned. And yet because of this relationship... Joy is sustained in the fellowship of the gospel. Joy is sustained in the fellowship of the gospel. Let me go back to verse 4 just one more time. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Fast forward to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. As I said earlier, there is a connection of affection that Paul has for the Philippians. He is the one who had an opportunity to bring the gospel to this church. He is the original pastor who started this church. And this relationship of love and affection has been reciprocated by the people of Philippi. They love Pastor Paul. They have supported him all along the way when other churches have done nothing. They supported Paul in his ministry of spreading the gospel. And they even now that he's in prison, they sent a representative, a man named Epaphroditus. We're going to meet him in chapter 2 with a gift to sustain Paul, to support Paul. The state doesn't pay for food in prison as he waits in chains. This affection is what sustains Paul's joy or part of what sustains Paul's joy. Because he knows how this blessed church loves him. And he says, whether I am in chains, continuing on in verse 7, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
And I can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, you, you follow Jesus long enough. Investing in people's hearts and lives for the gospel. And there are just some people that you feel inextricably connected with in Christ. These are my, if you will, soul people. We are connected in Jesus. And whether I or you help them grow in Christ, or whether you just have rubbed elbows with each other, side by side, laboring for the kingdom of God, laboring for the gospel, or both, you feel a bond with them. You feel connected with them. And to connect with them again, especially in your relationship in regard to Christ, it brings you joy. It strengthens you to face whatever trial you might be facing. And for Paul, it was being in chains, it was uncertainty, it was persecution. For us, it might be different things. It might be health challenges, it might be challenges in raising your kids might be finances, it might be stuff that's going on in your family, it might be even conflict with other believers in the church that you're in. But Paul says, look, when I think of you, when I remember our partnership in the gospel, our connection, it gives me joy and it causes me to be able to stand in chains and to stand up for the gospel. Because you're standing for something greater than this world has to offer. It's eternal. Just a few names I can name, and many of you would fit in that category as well, but I won't try and name too many names to avoid playing favorites. But I think of a man named A.C. Acosta, a guy who was in my singles ministry in Gurney. A.C. was kind of just doing the, the single guy thing, and the Lord really got a hold of his life, and now he's a missionary. He has his Ph.D. in theology. He's a missionary to the people in the Philippines. Another friend, Ted. Ted was also part of that singles group. And God really raised him and grew him up. And now he's a major church leader in the men's ministry, just ministering to others because of the good, healthy relationships we had in that singles ministry. I mentioned last week my friend Bill, who I first met was a drug addict, a stoner as we used to call them. And God has gotten a hold of Bill's life. And he's a, he's a tennis coach, is what he does. But he also leads a, people, a, a Bible study in his church. And I'm encouraged when we connect in Christ. He's still following the Lord Jesus. And then there's this girl named Emily. Maybe you've heard of her. Who's in the Middle East. And God is using her. And she is, she is giving her all for the gospel of Christ. Trying to help people connect with Jesus. Every time I hear from Emily, I am encouraged. And it causes me to want to stand for Christ, whatever I'm facing. So I want to ask you, what significant relationships do you have in Christ, in the fellowship of the gospel that encourages you? Enjoy it. Maybe here, it might be years ago. But when you connect with that person, it's, man, I'm right back there. I'm right back encouraged in Christ because of what we share together. That fellowship 
of the gospel. And if you don't have those relationships, this is a great place to start them. If you're not involved in something like our Sunday school classes or our Life Together groups, please take advantage of that. This is a great place to get plugged in, to start developing those relationships and be encouraged in Christ. You know, Paul is saying this kind of as a, a father to his children who he's excited about. He is, that, he is that spiritual leader. But you know, there's something interesting as, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I have three daughters, and my desire for my daughters is not that they be happy. You know, I often hear parents say, oh, I just want my kids to be happy. I don't want my kids just to be happy. I want them to be growing in Christ, even if that means they're going through actually hardship. And I don't wish hardship on my kids. But if it drives them to Jesus, if it causes them to grow in Christ, then I don't need the happiness aspect. I want them to grow. Because you know what can happen? We can come to Christ and we can kind of stagnate. You can kind of plateau and, and, yeah, Jesus is kind of part of my life, but I've got all these other things going on. No, I want Christ to be central to my children's life. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants for the Philippians. Verse 9, it says, this is my prayer. Philippians, this is my prayer for you. Number 1, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. And that word knowledge is not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. Paul's saying, I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to know that you are loved by Jesus. Deep down in your soul. And I know that's the Sunday school thing to say. But I want to ask you, follower of Christ. Do you know that you're loved by Jesus? He came to seek you and make you His own. And I know we oftentimes say this, but even if you were the only person that were on the world, in this world, the Father would send His Son. Do you know that you are loved? Do you know that you are loved? Not just up here, but here. And then to take it to the next step, to know that you're loved, and then to extend that love. I pray that your love will abound in knowledge, he says, and in depth and in insight. And then my question for us is, are we growing in our ability to receive love and to give love? Are you a better lover of people in Jesus Christ now than you were when you first came to Christ. I hope that's an area that each of us is growing in. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted. Number two, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To grow in that discernment of what are the things that I'm allowing into my life that I'm digesting, partaking in. Whether that's entertainment, 
whether it's the news cycle. Folks, I mean, I've shared this before. There's sometimes I have to shut off the news. Not because I want to just put my head in the sand, but because it just makes me mad. It just makes me, it doesn't make me loving. It just makes me angry. There's some things I just have to say, you know what? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. What are some things that I just need to cut away? Because it's not making me pure. It's not preparing me for the the arrival of Jesus Christ. And it, it might even be distracting me. So what are the things that I need to be discerning about, you need to be discerning about, that are preparing us, that are making us pure for the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Christ, that we may be pure and blameless? Are we growing in that discernment? You have to ask the question, because we're taking in things, is this making me more pure? Is it making me more blameless? And last of all, verse 11, and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of the Father. Paul is not talking about being a good guy or a good girl in order to earn salvation. That is not the gospel. In fact, that's contra to the gospel. And Paul addresses that. However, it is growing in your faith in Christ and valuing Him and and abiding in Him and knowing Him so much that the result is my life does result in what pleases God, in right or righteous living. Am I growing in my behavior, in my heart, in my thoughts, and in my behavior that the result is what people would call righteousness, what God would call righteousness or right living? And that might even be something as discerning as saying no to a street person who you know is going to take the money you give them and buy drugs. That's a discernment issue. That's all it is. It's not a law. But am I growing in righteousness? Am I growing in righteousness because I've been with the Savior and the result is glory and the praise of God. And so I have to ask myself this question. Am I growing? Or am I just plateauing? One of the most fearless Christians here at Berean Community Church is Justin Long. And he asks the pastor really uncomfortable questions. Justin comes up to me this week and says, Hey, Pastor Nathan, How's your relationship with Jesus? The pastor's not supposed to lie. I said, Justin, I'll be honest with you, man. It's been a busy season. A lot of things are going on. I've got a, I've got a wedding this weekend. I've got a sermon to prepare. I've got an ELPF group I'm leading. And I just said, you know what? I just feel like, man, I'm just showing up right now. I'm not running away from Jesus. I'm not going off on any, you know, rebellious tirade. But right now I'm just kind of plateauing. And it challenged me. I said, what, Nathan, what are you doing? 
to grow in Christ. And I'm not condemning myself. Look, you know, we all have busy seasons. We just sometimes need to step back and say, okay, Jesus, help me to get back to the reason why I'm doing these things. But I am asking myself, am I plateauing? Am I growing in Christ? In my ability to receive love and give love in Christ's name? In my discernment of what I take in? Am I growing in my relationship with Christ to the point where His life is being lived out through me? A more righteous life, if you will. Because I think even the Heavenly Father doesn't want us to just plateau. I want, he wants us to continue to grow. And I think that brings joy as well. God never meant for us to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're supposed to be in a fellowship in the Gospel. And part of that sustained joy is fellowship in the Gospel and continued growing. Well, again, this letter is to a group of concerned parishioners. To their founding pastor, how are you doing? You're in jail. You're in prison. That's not good, right? And maybe, maybe it's affecting your ability to, to preach the gospel. Paul, you brought the gospel to us. And then you brought it down to the Macedonian Peninsula, down to Greece. And then across the sea. And now you're in jail. You're in prison. Is this clipping the wings of the gospel being spread? And this concerned pastor for his beloved flock, he expresses to them and informs them about what's really going on. And this is joy that's caused by an invisible hand and unlikely circumstances. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. As it turns out, what's happening to Paul, he has more of an opportunity to share the gospel through his imprisonment to an audience he never would have had access to if he had been free. You see, he was chained to one of the Praetorian Guard. They kept a rotation. I don't know what the hours, I don't know how, how often they shifted it. But instead of having Paul behind bars, they had him chained to this Praetorian Guard. So, so this guy didn't get away. And so when Paul was with them, what do you think he talked to them about? Jesus. And for some of them, this really was good news. And they responded to it. And they put their faith in Christ. And when we get to the end of this letter, chapter 4, verse 22, he says, all the saints greet you in Christ Jesus, especially those in Caesar's household. The gospel is taking root in Caesar's household. Amazing. Again, like I said, Paul never would have had this opportunity if he had been free. Now that he's under lock and key, he has an opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel in the house of Caesar, where the gospel will spread. And so he has reason for joy. I know many of you lived enough life 
to figure out that God is true to His Word in Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Even if there is change that we didn't foresee, even if we feel like we're being sidelined. And I just want to share this story out of my own life. That's probably one of many stories in this room. But when I graduated from high school, I went to a, a community college for two years, was getting ready to transfer as a theater major to the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. I'd sent in my application. I had some stellar recommendations. And I got denied. And I was heartbroken because at the time, you could only apply to one University of California campus. There are nine. That year, you could only apply to one. So I was stuck. What was I going to do for a year? I worked gas construction. And that was a great year, actually. Because it did two things. It put money in my pocket. I made eleven forty-one dollars an hour in 1986, which was a lot of money in those days. And number two, it taught me to show up for work every day and realize I did not want to run a jackhammer for the rest of my life. So it gave me vision beyond, beyond just making money, right? But it was a good thing. And so the next year, and I reapplied, the University of California figured out, hey, we're really hamstringing some folks, like me, not allowing them to apply to more than one campus. So I applied. University of, of California, Los Angeles, University of California, Davis, and University of California, Irvine. The Anteaters, if you're just wondering what their, their moniker was. I got accepted at Davis, the Aggies. I got accepted at Irvine, the Anteaters. And I got denied at University of California, Los Angeles, the Bruins. Bummer. Bummer. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I chose to go to Davis, which was about 70 miles away from where I lived in Oakland. And I had opportunities I never had at UCLA. I got to be involved in volleyball and their club program. I got to play some amazing players during that time, but also learn the game. And it actually helped shape me to have some other opportunities to coach in the future. And to play. So I got equipped in coaching volleyball during that time. Also, I got involved with an amazing college ministry there called College Life, a church that had just really reached out to college students and had an opportunity to grow in my discipleship. And you know what? The Lord started awakening in me the thought of maybe the Lord might be calling you into ministry. So that was happening. And it also made me realize as I worked in a secular school in their theater department and some un, very unchristian, ungodly things happened, I realized that, you know what? Maybe God is not calling me into theater for the rest of my life. Maybe He's calling me someplace else. But really that change of direction launched me to where I am today. You know why these, these lights are up here? Because Pastor Nathan had to take a light class in theater. And I know how to get those things put up there. I know how the system works. 
God redeeming what you know we thought was a loss. But he had a different call on my life. A much different call on my life. And I rejoice in it. I was even talking to my mom. My mom's here today. And I was telling her, you know, you remember when I got declined at UCLA? I said, I wept. I wept like a baby. God, what, what am I going to do? They changed my life. And I'm just telling you that God is faithful. He works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, even if it feels like we're being sidelined for the moment. You know what's interesting here? Paul could have felt like he was being sidelined. He could have even been mad at God. Like, God, why did you put me in prison here? But he doesn't. He doesn't pout. And he doesn't stop sharing the gospel with the guys he's chained to. He could have chosen to. But no, he decided to bloom where he was planted. And if you're in an unexpected place, or you feel like your sideline of the planet has changed, be God's man, be God's woman in that place. Bloom where you're planted. And God will bring about some surprising results that you did not expect, and it will bring joy to you. But there's more. There's more for Paul to rejoice in. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Christians in Rome see Paul's boldness. He's right there in Nero's court and he's proclaiming Jesus and it became contagious. Man, Paul's doing that. I'm going to do it. Others willing to share without, without fear, boldness. And I think it's true for us. You know, when I hear someone in our church is sharing Christ with boldness in their workplace or their places, you know, of, in their neighborhood, what have you, it gives me boldness to want to share and engage and look for those opportunities to share Christ with people. We have an opportunity on October 10th to take this opportunity, to look for opportunities. And yeah, some of it might be just putting spackle on the wall and painting something and doing it in Jesus' name. But it also might be in a conversation where you have with somebody as you're doing that. So tell me about your family. What's going on there? Hey, could I pray for you about that situation? You don't have to be with the, the free coffee group and prayer group to do that. Just look for an opportunity to be interested in people. Share, you know, let them share their lives with you and then say, hey, can I, can I pray for you? And see where that leads. See where that opportunity leads to share Christ with people. And, and you may get to share the whole gospel outright. You might be just planting seeds. But that's okay. Come with a boldness. Come with a boldness and I pray that God will stir up within this church a greater boldness to share, to engage people on a spiritual level and share Christ, and that it would be contagious among us and bring joy. Paul had reason to be joyful because what he was doing in chains, the people were doing outside of those chains. 
And last of all, this is kind of the most interesting thing. You see, because do you remember that sitcom called Everyone Loves Raymond? You remember that? Not everybody loved Paul. Not everybody loved Paul. Some found him annoying. Whether that was a theological issue, you know, hey, you're throwing out the, the Jewish factor. What, what are you doing, Paul? Or whether it was personal, whether it was his style. I don't know what it was, but some felt like they were in competition with him. They didn't like Paul. The man who wrote most of our New Testament. Interesting, isn't it? And they saw this as an opportunity to take advantage, to diminish Paul somehow. And you know how they're going to do it? We're going to beat Paul to the punch. We're going to preach the gospel before he does. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy. And out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerity. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Now let's face it, friendly fire in the church is really painful. It's really painful. It's probably more painful than attacks from those outside of the body of Christ. But remember how Paul views himself. He views himself as Christ's doulos, as Christ's bond slave. If more people are hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ, then he's just fine with it. He doesn't care if he gets the credit or somebody else does. And even if those who are doing it are from jealous motives, insincere motives, because Paul has divested himself of his self-interest, of his ego. He's only concerned with what concerns his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is people come to hear about Jesus, come to know him, put their faith in him, come to love him and worship him. That's what Paul cares about. That's what he's concerned about. He's not concerned about his own name getting out there. And so I asked the question about us. Can we empty ourselves of our ego? Of ourself? When it comes to putting forth the gospel or advancing the kingdom of God. Do we need to get credit? Are we afraid that we might get left out for the effort that we put forth? The question is, are we rejoicing in what matters to our Master? Ultimately, people, he is the one who gives us those divine appointments. He's the one who orchestrates opportunities. You know, unless the Spirit of the Lord is working, 
People are just going to drink coffee. People are going to paint walls. People are going to drive in a car. But if the Spirit of the living God is involved, there's going to be spiritual fruit. We're going to have opportunity to share the love of Christ with people. But we have to be willing to divest ourselves of ourselves. Say, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about you. And let me tell you, folks, even (laughs) we're going to be doing this and we're not going to make a big deal about that it's Berean doing this. You know, we're not going to hide our name, but, you know, this this is not a brand recognition thing in our community. We just want to be faithful servants about with Christ. And you know what? If it causes other churches who want to feel like they're in competition with us to get the name of Jesus out there, then we can rejoice in that. Because who cares? And at the end of the day, whether our name is in print or your personal name is in print in the paper or Christianity Today or what have you, what we think is getting credit, you know, the person, only one I care about is the Lord Jesus himself and him seeing and him being able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we need to care about. Our master. Our master. We don't have to worry about the wrong motives of of others. Jesus is quite capable of being at work in his church whether he dissolves a congregation or he does his, his uh, disciplining work, whether that's a whole congregation or whether that's an individual. One of the people I, rec- I told you about earlier, my friend A.C. Let me tell you about A.C. A.C. graduated from high school and was a Marine for his, you know, his later years after he graduated from high school. He was an embassy Marine. And he was like a Marine that he was a chaser of women. And so one day after he'd gotten out of the Marines and he was in San Diego, he followed a girl to church. Wrong motives, right? I'm figuring if I follow her to church, maybe she'll be interested in me. You know what happened? The young lady ditched him. He lost track of the Sheila as the Australians would say. But he met the Savior there. So God can use our wrong motives to get us where he wants us to be. He's the Lord. And he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So, but when we find ourselves in a place we didn't plan, we say, Jesus, you are the master. You have me here Let me be your man. Let me be your woman. Bloom where I'm planted and trust you that you're going to bring good out of this because you do work all things for the good, for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And I guarantee you, he is faithful. And he will bring about a good end, whether we can see it or not. And it will cause joy for us. That's what we can trust in. Let me pray and then invite the worship team up to close this, please. God, I'm so grateful that you order our steps, even if they're steps that we didn't want to take.
But if we will trust you with those things, you will bring about your good result to grow us and to advance your kingdom. And Lord, sometimes we're making investments we won't see even on this side side of heaven. But help us to trust who you are, your character, and that we can indeed rejoice in you. You are faithful, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.